0: Well, greetings online church family. Excited to be together for a time of worship. And so hopefully you can choose to engage and really uh, lean into this time of worship. Ho- hopefully it's a blessing to you as you participate.
1: I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a hallelujah
2: To start soft. You can't just start real loud. Ready?
1: Sing a little louder. 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 Oh, sing a little louder.
2: I just want to pray over you for a minute. May the Lord meet you where you are at right now in this moment. I'm thinking of your faces. I'm holding your hearts in my own. In the name of Jesus, I send you blessing and greeting. May we find his favor here in this difficult time, in this difficult season. We lift up those among us that are truly hurting this weekend, that are afraid that are worried. We pray that that fear would be replaced by confidence in you. We pray that love would overwhelm our sadness. God, we give this season, this time over to you completely. We surrender, your will be done. And we say, Amen.
3: Well, thank you so much for being a part of our worship service and diving into worship with us. Well, man, as a church family, one of the things that we love to do for you is pray. And so if there's any way we can be a resource for you, we'd love to pray over any of your concerns. You can text us at 97,000, any of your prayer requests, and we'd be honored to pray for you. Well, um, If you would be interested in learning more about the ministries that we have at ABF, please go ahead and check out our website. We've got things for youth. We've got things for senior adults and everywhere in between. So go to our website and check out all the resources that we have for you. Well, the only way that we can continue making videos like this in our ministry on Sunday mornings and throughout the week is through uh, your generous donations. So if you would love to give to us, we'd uh, appreciate if you just go on our website and hit the Give tab and uh, support our ministries. That would be a huge blessing to us at ABF. Well, before we jump into our message, I'd love to just offer a prayer to everyone here online listening. Father God, we love you so much, and we are grateful for your presence in our lives, and you are at work in our lives. No matter where we're at, God, you are there, and we acknowledge that. So Lord, as we come to hear your word, God, would your truth resonate in our hearts, souls, and minds? God, speak to us. May your Holy Spirit do a work in us, Uh, prepare us for what you want to teach us. We love you. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Adrian, and thank you, worship team. Excited to be continuing and working our way through the book of Hebrews. As usual, the invitation is to follow along with us. We're in chapter 6, picking up where we left off last week, in verse uh, 9. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this series, really... Uh, The idea of this is a little different than some of the other letters. This one's written a little bit more in the style of a sermon, where you're trying to encourage or move somebody towards action. And anybody that's done any kind of uh, research about trying to compel or motivate people understands that there needs to be kind of a, a blend or a healthy line that you walk between challenge and encouragement. Some suggest even that you need to basically double up on the amount of encouragement in order to be in places where you can challenge. uh, I've heard it described before like an Oreo. The idea of an Oreo is like the idea of the chocolate on the outside and the filling on the inside. Now, some people only like the inside. I've always been somebody that enjoys the chocolate. And that's the idea with encouragement is that you need to start with encouragement then you can move towards the vanilla and then back to the chocolate. But the idea, the big idea is this, is that there has to be plenty of chocolate if you're going to see the desired change. And similar for us, as you think about receiving input in our lives, we're not going to be open to always somebody that's just constantly challenging us, calling us out on our junk. We need some degree of encouragement for positive reinforcement that's coming in the same dire- from the same direction, I was thinking about that as it relates to our relationships, even within ra- those of us that are raising kids. That should be a part of it. We should think through that we're not coming across as as constantly some kind of a rebuke or instruction, but it has a nice blend of encouragement parents maybe that's what you needed to hear even just in listening to this and that's same is true in really any relationship whether it's a friendship whether it's a, a romantic relationship whether it's a, a spouse no one wants to have somebody that's constantly getting on them with some challenge they need some kind of encouragement and what i love is that when you consider this and the idea of it being a, a sermon that's trying to promote change this is uh, the idea of promoting change here happens by him, the author, walking the line very carefully of encouragement and challenge. If you remember last week, there was a, a heavy dose of challenge. Really, it was a uh, confronting his audience for not putting in the work, for being kind of lazy and not a- engaging in growth and really not progressing in their walks as they should be, at the, not being at the stage that they should be in their walks with Christ. And it also called out those who had been exposed to the gospel, the, the people that had been introduced to it, but then had never made a decision to fully commit to following Jesus. So with that level of challenge, it's kind of now offsetting in this section with a little bit of encouragement. I know if you're uh, like me, you could probably use a dose of that coming out of last week's sermon. Let me just pray before we explore this section of scripture. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. And I thank you for the way that you consider the audience, when you're writing to us this unbelievably powerful letter. And when you're thinking through what we need to receive in order to change, to promote changes, we need a little bit of both. And so I'm thankful for today for a section of Scripture that's uh, just doused with encouragement. I pray that we'd receive it as such and, uh, and walk away just uplifted. And so we just submit this time to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so picking up in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 9, we're just going to read verse 9 to begin with, and really we're just covering uh, verses 9 through 12, and so we'll spend a decent amount of time on each one of those few verses. So the first verse says this, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, I read that statement like 10 times and I was like, what exactly is that saying? I, I really appreciated John MacArthur paraphrased that. And here's how he worded that same verse. He said, beloved fellow Christians, though we have been speaking about these awesome and fearful warnings to unbelievers, we know that far better things apply to you. For you have the accompaniments of salvation, not of unbelief these warnings are to apostates and to potential apostates are put in this letter to you because these people are in your midst so let me break that down a little bit first of the the section of the verse that we read it says though we speak in this way what is he referring to speaking in what way he, as I already mentioned, he's coming right out of a section that was pretty direct and fr- pretty confrontive. So he's saying, uh, even though we've been fairly firm and direct in our warning to you, he says, yet yeah, in your case, in your case, in other words, those reading the letter are mostly made up of genuine believers. So he's not talking to these apostates or people that hadn't been converted. And you notice that he softens the tone with a term of endearment. He refers to them as beloved. Beloved is never used in scripture describing somebody that is unsaved, but it's used to describe somebody that has made a decision, a genuine decision to follow Jesus Christ. So he uses the term beloved, which is the idea of being the object of God's love. The object of God's love. I think that's an idea that we can't visit too frequently. That's, that's uh, or frequently enough, something that we need to be reminded of, of, that you are the object of God's love. He loves you and demonstrates that in so many dramatic ways, whether it's his care and provision in your life or what was demonstrated on the cross. Definitely demonstrated in his actions though. So beloved, in continuing that verse, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure of better things. He doesn't want those genuinely saved in his audience to be questioning their salvation. He wants them to feel sure. We're not intended to be in a constant position of like, well, am I saved? Am I not? But instead, that is something that we are to wrestle through. We talked about that last week with fear and trembling. But once it's established for us to have confidence and our belief In him. So he wants them to feel sure in better things. And he describes what those better things are. Things that belong to salvation. Things that belong to salvation. I assume the things that belong to salvation, he's referring to all the good things that we have in store. I talk about that often for those of us that are in Jesus Christ. Man, we have some amazing days ahead. Well, our, our outlook is very positive. I had someone last week in between services ask me a question just about, because uh, we're talking about judgment a lot and standing before God and, and having to give an account for our actions. It was the person asked me, well, what are, what are my thoughts about what is upcoming judgment for those who are genuinely saved? What I believe and what I can see taught throughout Scripture is for someone that's embraced Jesus Christ, There is no judgment on the horizon. If there was, that would belittle what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So for someone that's in Christ, when it says, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, those things are amazing days ahead and there not being any level of judgment. In fact, scripture only speaks about us standing before the, not the judgment seat, but before the Bema seat of Christ. I don't have, have time to unpack all of the passages that relate to that, but I could definitely point you that direction if you wanted to study it. But the idea is the Bema seat is to stand before Christ, give an account for the good deeds, the actions that we had where we blessed and served others, and there'll be a distribution of of gifts, of crowns that will ultimately lay at Jesus' feet. So for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. The only thing that we have ahead of us is good stuff. I love that this starts with an amazing dose of encouragement. Continues in verse 10, showing his confidence in the fact that they have a genuine faith. Verse 10 says, for God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. Now, I don't know if you've ever had or done something that you thought was noteworthy, but realized nobody was around to see it. Have you you ever done something really cool and you're just like, man, I wish somebody would have noticed this? I had an opportunity just a couple weeks ago to go with a good friend of mine. We had a a, a chance to do, go to a 2-day driving school. Uh, of new Corvettes, it was going to be 80% off, so it was very affordable. So we went for this two-day, uh, t- two days of track training. It was really just an unbelievable experience, and we had this chance on the day one of the two days, is we each took turns with a professional driver going around the track, and he showed us how you could maximize the car and really rip around that track. And it was kind of a cool thing. And so I made paid attention because in the car it. Had had this recorder thing where it allowed you to see what his actual track speed was and so from that point forward not that they asked us to do this in my mind every time that we were doing laps i kept on trying to beat his track time and going around this course and when i finally actually did i was pretty jazzed about it but nobody knew and nobody cared But I look at this as an excuse to show you this on video. So check it out. Here's a clip of me from the driver's seat. I'm the one following the blue car. You can check it out for a moment here.
1: at the ni eating-
0: So that was a lean stretch in order to get that into the sermon, but basically the idea is amazing news that's seen in verse 10 here is that we have a God that doesn't miss any of it. He celebrates all of these things with us. He's involved in all of these experiences, and he definitely, definitely notices the things that we do. When we do a good job of, of loving somebody, of encouraging somebody, he notices. He's not the absentee father. He sees it all. And as I mentioned last week, we have this image often of God waiting for us to blow it and do something stupid and then club us on the other side of it. But that's not it, it at all. That's not how God operates us for someone that there's no condemnation. Instead, he's looking for areas to celebrate when we're actually getting things right. You see, true justice catches both the good and the bad. That's why it says, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. Think about that. Any good father, I don't know if you guys or any of uh, the people listening right now are in the season of life where you're taking your kids to different sporting events. But I know as a father, anytime I go to one of my kids' sports things, I'm not looking in that experience to identify all the different faults that they have, the mistakes that they made, and try to rub their nose in it. Instead, On my drive home, and you can all recognize or remember this if you've had kids in sports, is on the drive home, what are you trying to do? You're trying to think of any experience that they had in their sporting event that was worth celebrating, to honor them, to cheer them on. I love that picture of our God as a good father, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work like this idea of not overlooking our work and what is that work and it says and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do i love that it's pretty cool to think of that the fact that the love that we show to others demonstrates our love to him This is something that Jesus himself reiterated in Matthew 25 when he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. You did it to me. This idea that our actions, when you're wrestling through, man, I wish there was a way I could figure out how to express my love to God for how much he's blessed me and had his extreme love demonstrated on the cross. Well, guess what? There is opportunity and in any way that we demonstrate love to others, demonstrates our love to him. It's pretty cool to think about that. A couple other observations from verse 10 I wanted to highlight just before we move on to verse 11. The first thing that I noticed is he says, not to overlook your work and the love that you have shown. It's interesting when there's the connection between work and love. And any of us that are intentional or trying to grow in our love for other people realize that often love takes some work because what comes naturally to us in the flesh is selfishness, is thinking about me and my wants and my needs. Love is elevating someone else as a priority, putting their needs above your own. So for us to understand that, that love, that he notices the work, that it takes to love people. Some people, it's a lot easier to love than others. It's interesting was the, the one observation. Another observation says, your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving who? Says the saints. A lot of times we think of love demonstrated God in the way in which we serve people in the outside world, people that are outside of the church. But the love that he's referring to here is the love that's demonstrated. If he uses the term saints, he's talking about other believers. We're called and challenged to do a good job of loving within the body of Christ. And often that's the thing that becomes so attractive to the outside world is when they see what a good job we do of loving each other within the church. Man, I can point to so many different examples of us really doing well as a body, as a church family with that. There's so many examples of people just really loving each other well. And I'll tell you what, I'll I'll never forget that stretch back in, in August when my wife had COVID and trying to figure out meals and taking care of the kids and taking care of her and still doing work and all of the above. And how many people stop by day after day? Here's a meal we just wanted to bless you with. Here's another meal. We had a meal train for like almost two weeks. Just crazy to see God's provision through the hands of people doing a good job of living this out, demonstrating love to him by serving the saints. The last thing before we move on to the next verse. So I like the, the progression that we see there of this demonstration of love. It says, that the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. That as shown and still do describes perseverance. This wasn't an old, the, the, the good old days when I used to serve and love people. It's not something that you come to a conclusion with. It's something intended to be carried out through our entire lives. There's no peace where you're like, all right, I'm going to retire from doing a good job of loving the saints. There should be a pattern of that. It shouldn't be the, the good old days. Man, when I was younger and I used to serve, it should be something that's a habitual thing within the body of Christ. Remember back at our church back in Chicago, Harvest Bible Chapel, I really liked the expression that they used when they were challenging people to find some kind of an ongoing way that they're serving and doing a good job of loving people within the body of Christ. They, They described it as having a weekly kingdom responsibility. Identifying what your weekly kingdom responsibility, what is the thing that you can do to roll up your sleeves and demonstrate love on a regular basis? Well, here in this section of scripture, he's trying to encourage this group of believers that there's evidence of their faith that's seen in their action. And what is the action where they see the evidence of their faith? The way that they're loving other believers. Continue in verse 11, really with more encouragement to persevere. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may may not be sluggish but imitators of those who who through faith and patience inherit the promises so let's break that down a little bit the first thing that he says is show the same earnestness that you've already this idea that keep doing what you've already done and so it's more conversation about perseverance. Keep going with it. But you notice something that's interesting here is the outcome of perseverance. What comes when you persevere? It says full assurance of hope until the end. So how does that in fact work? The person that's made a decision to embrace Jesus Christ but then you look at their life and there's really no steps of them living that out or acting it out. They really are left without something very important, assurance of salvation. If you don't have actions that represent your claimed beliefs, they're left with kind of wondering, well, I'm, am I on the inside or am I not? For the person, the, alter, the alternative is the person that perseveres that keeps on loving, that keeps on serving, that keeps demonstrating Jesus Christ to those around them, they have one of the benefits of assurance of the hope that comes at the end if they persevere all the way through. I read this quote that I think helps describe it. It says, our perseverance isn't the cause for why God keeps you, isn't the cause, but the evidence That He has kept you. You see the difference there. It's not something where we're trying to earn his favor, but it's evidence that God is at work in your life if you persevere. So it's not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We talked about that last week and saying, all right, I'm going to persevere, persevere, but instead you're staying connected to the vine and he's the one that demonstrates his work in your life through perseverance. Here, continuing it says the same, continue the same earnestness to have the full assurance. I like that idea of earnestness being on display and what does earnestness mean? I looked up the definition because it's not a word that we use necessarily on the regular. The definition of earnestness is sincere and intense conviction. Sincere and intense conviction. If you think about our commitment to Jesus should be sincere. When somebody looks behind the curtain, when somebody follows you around, they should start to see like, man, that's a real thing. That's really taken hold in their life. It's demonstrated uh, behind the scenes and in the public. It's a real thing. But then I really like not just the word sincere, but the word intense. The word intense is the idea that, man, you are on target you are on task you're staying the course you're not deviating one bit there's been a a number of different tributes where they've highlighted the career of Kobe Bryant and I don't know being in LA I'm assuming there's a lot of Kobe Bryant fans even listening to me speak now and one of the things that he was often celebrated for was his intensity and any time you saw that guy, whether it was in practice or whether it was in a game, he did not take that lightly. He was on fire. I would love if there was a similar earnestness, which would be both genuine uh, and also intense demonstrations of our faith. Wouldn't that be awesome to have said of us? So what's the alternative? So, so that the alternative, verse 12 so that you may not be sluggish so that you may not be sluggish now what comes to mind for you when you hear the word sluggish for me without a doubt I always go back to that scene in Zootopia with the with the slug at behind the counter and everything that this slug does is always in slow motion And you're kind of behind the the on the other side of the counter. You're just like, just go. And all of us that have spent any amount of time in the DMV know exactly what that scene is referring to. Nobody wants to partner with someone that's slow and unmotivated. But that's what he describes as the outcome of someone that doesn't persevere. All of a sudden, they're just going through the motions. There's no sign of passion or energy. They're instead seen as sluggish. So what's the alternative? It explains it there. So that you may not be sluggish, but rather, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise promises. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So who is this referring to? Somebody that's, that's been patient and somebody that uh, has faith. Basically, it's describing those who have come before us that have walked with the Lord all the way to the end. That might be demonstrated in different Bible characters. We're going to have a chance in a, a couple of weeks or a number of weeks from now to work through Hebrews 11, which is kind of the hall of faith for those who have been faithful and demonstrated their faith through actions but sometimes it's found in scripture that he's saying to emulate, but it's often someone that you've known, somebody that their life is marked by faith, somebody that their life is marked by patience. We had a, a really cool opportunity a number of years back to highlight and celebrate a woman in our church. Her name is Nancy Melanie. And some of you that are maybe newer to our church might not not have known Nancy, but uh, most likely if you're around the church for any amount of time, you'll run into Bill and Jana Berry. This was Jana's mom. And it was an opportunity to celebrate her story and praying for and lifting up her prodigal son. His name is Gordon, who's also been a part of our church for a number of years. So I wanted to take a second just to, as we're talking about people to emulate, I thought this story was one worthy of revisiting. So check out this video. It's a few minutes long for sure, but amazing story. Check it out.
4: I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer.
5: And the doctor called us into the office and told us he had six months to 12 months to live.
4: And I always seem to have this hope that I'm really not dying. I'm really not dying yet, so.
5: It was the worst time in our whole family life.
4: I was turning yellow and starting to itch all over. So I went to the hospital to see what was up, and they did some sort of scan. Turns out my bile duct was collapsing because there was a tumor on my pancreas
6: so he had surgery at ucla in january and my mom and i and my dad and ellen were all in the waiting room at ucla so we were ushered into this little room and um the doctor came down and said i have bad news uh gordon's cancer had spread to the liver we had to close him up and uh, there really isn't much to do
5: the only thing to do was to try to give him chemo see if he could tolerate it and slow the disease down. I was—I couldn't stay with the family. I was just so, so in need of prayer. And I was just crying and begging God to please, please let him live.
4: It was hard to me to find complete joy with my wife next to me who is also diagnosed with breast cancer, the triple negative cancer. You know, I have children. I loved my kids, I loved her. All this sadness kept piling up in me and all these circumstances were just horrible. And she was uh, dying, she was finally failing the the chemo. Nothing was working for her, she tried all these chemo's. It was was a time to say goodbye and she had passed and it was the worst kiss I ever felt. (laughs) Where our tubes clicked each other as I kissed her. um, it's, uh, It's sad, it's just sad what happens.
5: When Dr. Donahue went in and told him that he only had six to 12 months to live, the first words out of his his mouth was, I don't deserve to go to heaven. And I said, honey, that's exactly why you do deserve it. Because you know that you're a sinner and you know that that's why God died on the cross for you. And I knew he knew that. And uh, that was just the beginning of of Gordon's journey back
4: I wake up in the morning and and the surgeon comes in and he grabbed his assistants and everybody um, the pathology reports came back and uh, he goes get on the phone call your wife call your wife and I go what are you talking about he was so
6: excited and he had said that uh, the path results had come in and they had done 17 biopsies on the liver and the pancreas and all of them were negative.
4: The biopsies coming back negative everywhere. For a stage 4 pancreatic patient, it's unheard of. I remember later on that month, I go to get results from a, a CT scan and a nurse came in, a new, wasn't my doctor, she was another oncologist and she says, your report is reading that all your cancer is gone. And I said, that's kind of mean. You got the wrong chart. It's Gordon Melanie's chart. And she's going, no, really? All your tumors have disappeared off the chart.
5: Months ago, in August, uh, I got sick on a family reunion and sent to the hospital. And they discovered that I had pancreatic cancer.
6: When my mom was diagnosed with cancer, I. I told Gordon that I was really strong when he got cancer and I was strong when Ellen got cancer. But my mom's my best friend and I couldn't figure out why God was doing all this and allowing all this in our family. And I know that he pieces it all together for a perfect plan. And my mom really was able to just um, help me trust the Lord. And I've always since then had this peace that it's not my plan, it's it's God's plan. And um, because of the
5: cross, we have the peace of God, and we have peace with God. With us and our families. time of trial, we call it our... Storm. We, our storm. It's been three years of, of, of hard things to accept. But oh my goodness, do we see the result of God's love in our, in our family life? And we love each other more than ever. You know, Gordon was my prodigal son, and I've prayed for him for, well, he's 58 years old, so for years and years. I always knew he loved the Lord. But I knew he was going his own way.
4: The real miracle was that, <laughs> the real miracle was that my heart has changed. Not just the, the physical side, but the, the miracle is that I realize who God is to me, who Christ is personally to me. Everybody I come in, I've come in contact with had kept telling me that they were <laughs> petitioning to God to save me, and um, it's happened. It's happened. My life has been spared, and and God's using it all over the place.
0: Well, I love the way their family chose to trust even in the storms of life. And they, they didn't mention it in the video highlight there, but even talking with Nancy before she passed, she had actually prayed for her, her son Gordon and coming back to Christ. She'd even prayed to the Lord, God, I'll take the cancer. I'll, I'll take the cancer just as long as my son gets to come back to you. And it's kind of interesting that that's how she ended up passing was actually dying of pancreatic cancer, but you would have never crossed paths with somebody more joyful than she was as she had seen God's faithfulness demonstrated to her family. A powerful example of both of those things, faith and patience. Both of those are often demanded because we just don't know the future. We just don't know what the days ahead are going to look like. So what does it say? It says, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So That's kind of the idea of the finish line that we're heading towards. Somebody that inherits the promises. What promises are those? We're going to get a chance to explore that more next week. But you get the idea, all of the things that are promised to those who are in Jesus Christ. So this word of encouragement, this Oreo, if you will, the chocolate on both sides of it, the chocolate that's 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 filling or surrounding the uh, the challenge that we saw last week, the chocolate that we're introduced to, is important truths for us. That for the first one, the idea that he pre- that he presented to us, the first idea is the fact that. That man, you're doing great. We're seeing the work that you're doing. We notice the difference between you and these apostates, these imposters if you will. We notice it. The Lord sees and recognizes all that's happening behind the scenes. Nothing slips by. And then the encouragement to persevere. For the person that perseveres, what's on the out, what's the outcome of that? Two things that are very important. One, they get to live with an assurance, a confidence of what's to come because they've stayed the course. And then second, which we'll get to unpack further, is they'll experience all the things that are promised for those who are in Jesus Christ. This hopefully for you is an amazing encouragement. I know it was for me going into the, into the past week. Let me just pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be in your word and a chance to, to celebrate your faithfulness and your provision to us and the, that provision and faithfulness is demonstrated that you're a just god who notices when we do a good job of loving people who notices that that is in fact a demonstration of our love to you that encourages us to persevere not not for the just the sake of perseverance because of the outcome of that is the assurance that we have that we are in you because we see the continuation of your hand moving and working in our life Thank you for the promises that you have in store for us. So many amazing things. You're such a good and faithful God when we now celebrate you through song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
1: Were creation suddenly articulate? With a thousand tongues to lift one cry, then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified.
0: right, church. Well, thanks again for being with us online. Hopefully this section of scripture is a little bit more of an encouragement than maybe last week. Uh, But as I mentioned, it's so important for us to get a little bit of both, to be around people that are going to both lift you up and people that are going to challenge you. And that's what God's word does when we're faithful to it. God bless you. Have an amazing week.